Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hey, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. And I have today uh, Demetrius Sarapatsanis. He's an attorney um, based out of Greece that has worked um, in the realm of artificial intelligence and the law. Uh, he's got quite a bit of experience, very varied experience, but I'm going to let him describe more of who he is because I think he can do a better job of it. But welcome, Demetrius. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Richard. Thank you very much. It's great to be, uh, to be with you. Okay. So just uh, a little just a little bit of background. As you well said, I have worked as an attorney back in Athens, Greece, uh, where I got my first law degree at the University of Athens. And then I pursued two postgraduate degrees, one in Athens and one in Paris, France, where I also got my PhD. So currently I'm working as a lecturer in law at the University of Sheffield. And that's where my research with, I teamed up with computer scientists that I knew uh, in this university and other universities in the UK, and one in the US actually. And I'm still handling cases, uh, some cases in Europe, uh, some of them to do with European law and the European Court of Human Rights, which was the court we, um, whose cases we tried to test with our algorithm and this paper you talked about. So thank you again very much. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah, I mean, tell me a little bit about, um, so you work with some computer people that used an um, artificial intelligence machine learning algorithm it sounds like, to evaluate cases in a certain area of law. So go ahead, tell us about the uh, background of the experiment and what happened, what the result was. Okay, so the idea was this. Um, I teamed up with uh, some postdocs in computer science. Uh, one, two of them were based in UCL, University College London, and one in the University of uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, but actually I knew all of them because they, were, uh, they did the PhDs at Sheffield where I was teaching. And our idea was to use statistical natural language processing models, which is just one way in which an algorithm breaks down texts and tries to spot patterns between uh, textual features, which means for uh, easiness, words. And we um, used judgments of the European Court of Human Rights, which is an international or a regional court in Europe. Uh, which tries cases uh, whereby individuals mostly make applications against their own uh, states on the grounds that some uh, violation of a human right contained within the convention has um, uh, happened. Okay. And then our idea was, because those judgments are very well structured, so they're not a lot like common law uh, jurisdiction uh, judgments, they have a very specific distinctive structure, so they begin with the facts of the case, you know, the circumstances as the court calls it, but you know, it's more or less the operative facts, and then they go on with the arguments, the legal arguments of the parties, and then we have the reasons provided by the court itself, justifying the outcome, and at the end of the judgment we have the outcome, and maybe a dissenting opinion if such a thing exists. So the idea was to try to focus on three articles of the convention, which correspond to three rights. Um, and cut down those judgments into pieces, 
chunks of text, train the algorithm with about 250 cases, we used in total 584 cases, and then for the rest of the, uh, of the cases, uh, try to use the textual features to make the algorithm predict what the outcome was just on the basis of text. Huh. So what was surprising about this, so the idea was that we could use this as a proxy for the data we didn't have. So to give you uh, an idea, we didn't have access either to the applications of the individuals to the court because generally no access to such data is uh, allowed without having specific permission by the courts, nor to the briefs by the parties. Right. But we had access to those judgments because there's a huge online database which contains all those. So we used those textual chunks and on the other hand for the arguments of the parties. And then we tried to see which of those chunks can help predict the outcome. The surprising part was that the algorithm, after being trained, had an average accuracy of about 79% of predicting the outcome. So, so Demetrius, in a nutshell, yeah. so, so you'd show it the facts of a case without showing the final judgment, the briefs, the motions, etc. Yeah, exactly. And exactly, you're saying the computer exactly. would figure out and it would produce a judgment that was 79% similar to what the judge actually said in the case. Exactly. 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 That's, that's amazing. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's, it, it's, it's less amazing if you think that one of the reasons we also chose those, and I, I, I have to mention this, one of the reasons we chose the European Court of Human Rights is that the outcome is binary. So the court either um, says in the end that such a violation of such a right has taken place or not. So there's no possibility, for example, of predicting, or we didn't use it to predict, for example, uh, damages or, you know, uh, whenever the court has the possibility to choose between more than two remedies, these remedies. Right. So that helped, in fact, uh, our job. Okay, so it's a start, but it's uh, definitely a very auspicious start. So out of 580-some-odd cases, you fed the computer half the cases. Exactly. How did you instruct the algorithm to understand what was going on in the um, in the text, or did you just did you give it rules, or how did it figure that's, it out? That, that's the idea. The algorithm doesn't really understand what what the text is. Uh, I'm not a computer scientist, so I'm going to make it as simple as I can. I'm I'm really a lawyer, and I I wrote the qualitative analysis parts of the paper there, and the legal analysis. So uh, the algorithm doesn't understand the words. The algorithm has a fixed dictionary. And what it does is to spot patterns between words. So it breaks down the text into, uh, into patterns. Uh, and by identifying statistical patterns between different kinds of words, it correlates those with outcomes. So that's how it learns. It's, it doesn't really understand what the words mean. Hmm. And that's the interesting part about it. Uh, because it can spot patterns, which, for example, uh, you know, sometimes judges uh, use without explicitly saying so or even without even thinking so. Yeah, I know, for instance, everyone has a verbal tick or a way of speaking exactly. that repeats itself in conversation. And I've also read and seen in relationships where people know each other, uh, the conversational patterns tend to repeat quite often. So I could see how, how this would come exactly. about in court cases. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's the idea. So the idea was to try to spot, but, you know, in a natural again, 
because the, the, the technical details are, are more complicated, but uh, to spot patterns between words and outcomes, uh, which uh, this kind of software does pretty well, uh, and then to, after having fed the algorithm, or after having trained, as we say, the algorithm, then to abstract from the outcome and to provide different chunks of text and make it predict what the outcome was. So that's where the accuracy came in. Was you know, the 79% accuracy. Do you think that um, the accuracy can go higher with more cases analyzed, or where, where would you go from here? I really don't know. Our next step, and that's what we want to do, uh, you know, in, in academia, we are very cautious, and actually we published this paper in a journal called the Peer Journal of Computer Science. It's available online and open source, so everyone can read it. Uh, our ambition was only to do what some people call the proof of concept, to really show that this kind of analysis is possible. Mm. So the next step would be to actually try to generalize with many more, uh, with a much bigger data set. So we would like really to, and I have come into contact after the publication of this paper with judges and other people uh, of the European Court of Human Rights, uh, to try to feed it with real applications and briefs and motions so that we can try to, take, to test, uh, to test those, uh, those texts too. The second step, which would be easier before even doing that, would be to try to work with many more cases. So that's, that's what we will try to do. What are the, um, the computer guys saying, what do they believe may happen if you have a thousand cases? Or you know, what, at what level do they think that the, um, the accuracy will go way up, maybe even approach 100%? I, I really, I really don't have an answer to that. What I really know is that these uh, these algorithms are very good at being trained, and the more cases you feed them, uh, the more they can actually spot those patterns and try to predict what the outcome was. What was interesting, from a legal point of view, from a legal analysis point of view, was that different chunks of text had different scores in terms of accuracy. So generally speaking, and that's interesting for uh, people like me, because I'm doing a bit of legal theory, uh, generally speaking, the uh, chunks that corresponded to the facts of the case were a bit more accurate than the chunks corresponding to the legal arguments of the parties. And that actually corroborates um, many empirical work on how judges decide cases. But Actually, the next step would be to try to enlarge the data set and see where we are after that. What do you think is going to be the implication if, you know, this works and you are you going to next try to apply it to cases where, you know, it's not just binary, where there are damages, where there are shades of, of you know, right and wrong? I, I'm not sure about that right now because I'm working... Actually, you know, my academic and research work is on the European Court of Human Rights, so I'm very keen on uh, enlarging the data set from that uh, point on. But our uh, algorithm and the article are uh, openly uh, accessible to everyone, and mm. it's up to people to try to do something with that. So actually, it was just, you know, it was an idea uh, that the, it was the idea more or less it was original than the techniques, the specific techniques used, if right. I may put it in this way. So people can try to use it uh, in, any, in any possible way. Mm.
I thought about this. You know, for instance, in the United States, let's say, uh, you know, drunk driving. Mm-hmm. What if you had an algorithm and you fed it, you know, a thousand drunk driving cases in one particular state and mm-hmm. all the rulings on them, the police reports, the facts of the case and everything? Mm-hmm. You know, what I want, I, I wonder if an algorithm could become a recommendation engine where it wouldn't replace the lawyer, but it would be able to advise them, well, if you file this motion, if you take the case down this path, you have a much higher likelihood of it succeeding than if you do that. It would be exactly. a, an adjunct. Do you see that this possibly could become something like that in the future? Richard, what you said was spot on. I think uh, I, I really, I really believe that this is uh, this is what the future uh, is going to look like. I, I really believe that. So, what these things can do, I mean, these algorithms can do, is actually spot patterns uh, very easily. And the big difference right now is that we have access to enormous amounts of data to train them. So yes, I'm actually I'm, I'm, I'm seeing things evolving like that in the future. And, you know, lawyers using specific passwords, lawyers correlating outcomes with specific judges, uh, clients correlating outcomes with specific lawyers, and so on and so forth. So yes, I think that in about 20, 10 to 20 years' time, uh, law firms will be using that standardly. Yeah, they, I know they do this, you know, good good attorneys and good lawyers do this already. They know, okay, judge so-and-so tends to do this, so I'll do that. Exactly. Uh, you know, but this is a computer-assisted way of doing it. Exactly, and it's, it's much more accurate, and it can spot things that, for various reasons, we humans cannot, cannot easily spot. So that's, that's one more uh, thing to it. So one thing we, um, we have... Uh, highlighted in our analysis was that the already existing doctrinal, let's call them that, uh, trends and patterns in the case of the European Court of Human Rights were more or less identified correctly by the algorithm. But the algorithm also identified various other kinds of patterns that lawyers can use to do exactly that kind of work. So actually it can help them systematize the, the kind of knowledge they already have. Do you think algorithms, if they become more widespread, will actually change interpretation of the law, make it more rigid, or uh, change how, how, again, how a law is interpreted and unearth the need for changes to existing law? I really don't have a view on that right now. I, I would like to do a lot more research and try to understand how this works a lot better before answering your question. What I can tell you, though, is that the preliminary results of the kind of research we have done seem to suggest that, at least in the kinds of cases we are talking about, uh, it's patterns of facts that are more important than legal arguments themselves, which would be, let's let's say, you know, the, the interpretive uh, part of this. So, and, and actually that corroborates uh, one of the major movements uh, in legal thought in the U.S., the so-called legal realist movement. Yeah, because, you know, you, you had all these great lawyers in the beginning of the 20th century in the U.S. saying that appellate courts, especially appellate courts, uh, decide cases on the basis of the facts of the case, not on the basis of legal arguments. So, yes, our, our algorithm corroborated that, and it can spot those patterns very easily. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Um, you know, before we leave this subject, any... Any other things that you think will come out of this, you know, intentional or unintentional, anything that it, um, 
made you aware of or shocked you or put a new thought into your head as to what may happen in the future because of it? You know, the, the, the first thing that shocked me really was uh, the accuracy uh, rates. Uh, I was expecting it to be much lower than, than that. Uh, uh, what I believe is that this kind of analysis will surely change how... Uh, it's, it's already changing many other domains. Uh, the software has been used uh, for various other uh, kinds of, uh, of projects. To give you one example, uh, the researchers uh, I have collaborated with have actually tried to use it to independently uh, predict people's incomes from the kind of content their tweets have, for example. Oh. And they have actually done that pretty accurately. Uh, or, for example, they have tried to predict flu outbreaks from the content of tweets. So, you know, uh, applying it to, to the law is just one idea among many others. Huh, I really believe that things are, are evolving and changing in, in, in a way that we cannot really uh, uh, even imagine right now. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Okay. Um, anything, yeah. um, anything else in the unique nature of your work and what you do that... Um, you think it'll be of interest to you know to my audiences? Um, um, I have said more or less uh, what this work was about and how it could be uh, it could be used to support some kind of uh, position in you know the uh, ever going debate between so called legal realists as I call them and legal formalists. So legal realists seem to be. Uh, the, the, the results seem to corroborate what legal realists, uh, among other things, say. The interesting part is that this kind of algorithm can be used to identify topics. And again, the topics... Uh, so, if you read the paper, you will see that the algorithm provides scores for words. Okay. And it ranks words depending on how it believes that they uh, correlate with outcomes. So, you know, uh, it could be, at the very least, an assisting tool uh, for lawyers to try to uh, spot which words uh, will win the day against the kinds of words that will, you know, eventually lose the day. Even though it's pretty crude for the time being, but, you know, it's evolving. This actually seems like it could be a third or fourth party in the courtroom. You have the lawyers... You have the judge, sometimes you have the jury, but what if you had in the future a computer that gives you, again, its version of what it thinks the outcome should be based on the facts and the pattern matches? You know, what if it, it became a third voice in the courtroom besides the judge or an addition that was relied upon in the determination of a case? Do you see that happening? As things stand right now, I don't see that happening. It could be used behind the scenes by various people without explicitly saying that they relied on it. I'm saying this because, you know, our, our idea of what a courtroom is is, is is a process which is reasoned, where there are various uh, ideas that are justified, where the outcome is justified and judges give reasons for the way they decided the case and so on and so forth. So this kind of algorithm cannot provide that. It, it actually is completely capable of providing reasons for the kinds of outcomes it, uh, it predicts. Hmm. The second thing is that the algorithm is, in a sense, 
um, conservative in which sense? In the sense that it can only extrapolate from patterns that have already been spotted. Okay. So mm. it doesn't have, um, let's call it for lack of a better word, you know, the um, uh, imagination to invent new doctrines or to provide new solutions. So it extrapolates from past, uh, from past patterns. Okay. Uh, so I wouldn't see it for the time being. No one knows what the future looks like. Uh, I wouldn't see it being a fourth party in a courtroom, but I would see it being used by both clerks of judges and lawyers to try to see what's going on. What about if it was the ultimate in legal research? You know, lawyers will often reference other cases, other case law, to make their point. If you had a computer that had all the case law in it, you know, tens of thousands of cases, it could be a tremendous resource for both sides to draw on those cases. Exactly, yeah, it could be. And it seems to me that this is also one way in which uh, this algorithm could be used. And it seems to me that there are some people working uh, in that direction already. So there, yes, I I definitely see that happening too. Okay. Um, Any other questions on the subject that um, I should have asked you that I left out? It seems to me that we covered uh, all that there was to cover for intelligent and ambitious lawyers. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate your feedback. Um, for people to access this paper, do you have a URL, or can they just Google something that way they'll find it? If they Google, uh, well, either they can Google my name, or they can Google uh, the name of the paper, which is entitled Predicting Judicial Decisions of the European Court of Human Rights, a natural language processing perspective. It's open access. They can uh, alternatively go on peerj.com, so that would be pwrj.com on the computer science uh, journal, because there's also, it seems to me, a life uh, biology and health sciences one, and they can easily find it. They can also find the algorithm plus the whole uh, review history. So, you know, as our computer scientists say, it's up to them really to develop the model further. Okay. And then last question. For um, for someone reading this paper, do they have to be a computer scientist to understand it? Or if they're an attorney, they can understand it, you believe? The good thing about me being a lawyer and being part of the, <laughs> the team of authors is that there's lots of things that a lawyer can understand just by reading it. There is a technical section of the paper which uh, describes the methodology. And that section uh, is a bit more demanding for computer scientists, but more or less, I think it's pretty accessible to lawyers as it is. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Yeah, I appreciate your time uh, doing this call. It was it was very informative. Um, if... I appreciate uh, you giving me that time, Richard. Yeah. And thanks a lot. Are you are you open to uh, anyone contacting you for your your thoughts on this, or would you rather they sure, just go to the paper? Sure, no, no, I'm 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 I'm, I'm open to that. I'm mean, I'm happy to discuss this, especially you know with people who are more uh, skeptical about okay. the idea, because you know many people were skeptical, and they you know back in my own home country, people said, uh, especially lawyers, that we're not going to let machines uh, dominate us uh, in this way. Mm. 
Yeah, how, how would people get in contact with you if you know if they want to have a conversation? What's the best the easiest way? way? The easiest way is to email me. Uh, my email address at the university, so it's d.tsarapatsani, so that would be d.tsarapatsanis at sheffield.ac.uk. Okay, very good. Okay, Demetrius. Well, again, thanks a lot for coming. I really appreciate this. It's been Thank a very, very interesting... Thank you very much, Richard. A big thanks to you Thank for you. inviting me. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.